You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back Arizona. It's 8 o'clock Saturday morning. You are tuned in to Rosie on the House. Second Saturday of the month. So we're going to call Mr. John Eisenhower, certified arborist, down out of the tree. And as he's climbing down, that's a perfect opportunity for you to get on the line at one 767-4348. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. If you'd like to talk trees, you can also text to 411-923 or send us an email at info at rosieonthehouse.com. Welcome back, Mr. Eisenhower, and Happy New Year. Oh, and Happy New Year. And who else do you have with you? <laughs> uh, well, that was the next thing. <laughs> yes, Happy New Year. It's uh, great to be back. And it's great to introduce my friend and colleague, Sarah Maitland, our plant health care director, who's joining us in studio this morning to talk trees. And excited that we have a little three of us here to four of us, five of us here to you know, enjoy <laughs> the morning. Together, with with talking the about amount trees. of years of experience and y'all's profession, you could definitely say, you know, you're probably the, the brain power of three or four people. There we go. I like that. No, we, we do. Uh, we, we can talk trees as long as you want to talk trees. <laughs> and we start by talking about a tree of the month. We always highlight a tree. It's not always uh, native, but something that does well in our Arizona climate. Right. The, the tree of the month for January is the Chinese elm tree. It's the Olmus parvifolia. It's, a, uh, it's not native to this area, but really, really, really well adapted to this area area of, of the country, um, as many trees are. We have trees from all over the world that do really well here. Uh, and this tree in particular is a, is a, is a rock star. Uh, Dr. Chris Martin at ASU, uh, he ranked this tree number one of, of trees that are most adaptable to limited planting areas, namely in traffic, er- traffic um, uh, uh Roadways, Roadways parking and, lots. And, and limited parking, yeah, limited planting spaces and parking lots along roads where you might have a three or four foot wide planting strip and you want a, a suitable tree that will be able to survive. It out it outperformed all the desert trees. And it's just a really bulletproof tree, very few natural enemies, and but, it's beautiful. But it's not a small one either. No, it can grow to be pretty pretty good size, but it's kind of adapts to its planting area, kind of like a fish will adapt to the size of its aquarium. Some trees, if they have limited rooting space, will not really you know grow to their full mature size that they would otherwise have grown if they were in a in a in a a large planting space with unlimited rooting uh, uh, area. So. Yeah, it's a really nice tree. You want me to tell you a little bit more about it? I do, and on this, I and we plan on putting a couple of these in on the south side of our lawn. We had ash trees that were originally planted. That a couple of goats ate the bark off, and then the trees died the next year, unfortunately. And I remember that we've yet to replace it. And I've I've been, kept looking and looking, and I we have decided on the Chinese elm for, for that replacement. Yeah, you'll like it. You'll like it. And and, and again, they 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 achieve their landscape purpose qu- pretty quickly. They're fast growers. Uh, they are deciduous, so they lose their uh, their leaves in the winter, which is great for a southern exposure because then in the summer they provide the shade. In the winter they drop their leaves. They let that nice ra- radiant heat in from the south. And, yeah, so great choice for uh, a deciduous tree on the south or west exposure. And, yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're really a, a nice uh, – what I like about them is their, their color. They're a dark uh, green leaf. Um, 
uh, c- contrasting with kind of a light-colored uh, jigsaw puzzle, kind of a bark that, that's exfoliating, and it kind of constantly changing, beautiful texture, and they have no thorns, uh, a little bit of a leaf drop in the fall. You know, you'll have some leaves that are scattered around the landscape, So, um, but overall, just a great performer, and, and like I said, bulletproof, no natural pests, no natural pathogens, no real uh, serious issues that um, other trees bring with them. So we have in fact, the- a lot of other n- non-native trees tend to bring with them things uh, that, that are due to their you know, inability to adapt to our climate. So you have to take that as a caveat for purchasing any non-native is that sometimes they just aren't as adaptable. But this tree is one of those that is so darn adaptable that um, ha- not a lot to say bad about it. Now, I'm assuming its origins are back to China. There's the Chinese elms, and mm-hmm. most citrus ever came from Asia. Uh, have we ever opened them? If, if those things do so well there, do things that grow here do well in China? I mean, do we have like a, a market for selling mesquite <laughs> trees over to China? That would be a big market. <laughs> yeah, that's a good good, uh, good question for, uh, for John Jay next week. Okay. <laughs> no, I really don't know. That's an interesting question. Do our, some of our trees here... Uh, uh, you know, can they be moved across the world? I bet they can, for sure. Why not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so our January, uh, starting off on our to-dos for the tree industry, we've got pruning. Yeah, this is a, the best time of year to prune deciduous trees. If you saw our, our newsletter, um, uh, Roy Maxey, one of our certified arborists at Integrity Tree Service, answered the question, you know, uh, when is the best time to prune deciduous trees? And one of the reasons they're pruned in the winter is because if, as they leaf out again in the spring, that new growth is pretty uh, weakly attached. It's very delicate, and you don't want to be pruning the trees right after leaf. The leaves start to emerge. You'll you'll break a lot of those little buds and, and uh, off of the tree as you're pruning. So, so any time now between, before the trees put their leaves on is a great time to be pruning all your deciduous trees. That's your ash, your elm, your your um, your stone fruits, your pecans, your mulberries, all your trees that that lose their leaves in the winter. This is prime time for pruning those. And in pruning them, what am I looking for? Clear out deadwood, open the canopy. Uh, what do? Sometimes they may not even need pruning. Yeah, well, in that all, all the above, if if they need that, um, you know, what's nice in the winter when the trees have lost their their leaves, you can see the branch architecture. So if there's any structural uh, issues that would otherwise have been covered up by a, a heavy canopy of leaves. Um, it's a good time to be able to look at those crossing branches, rubbing branches, branches with narrow angles of attachment, and of course, uh, deadwood. Although, uh, with deadwood, sometimes in the winter when the trees have lost all their leaves, it's hard to tell what leaves, what branches are dead and which ones are alive. So if you're up there and you're you're doing a little bit of trimming on those deciduous trees, you can always do the scratch test with your fingernail and kind of scratch the bark and see if if it's green underneath. Uh, with the elms and other smooth bark trees like mulberry and and pistache, the uh, uh, it's very thin, light colored bark, and you can scratch it with your fingernail and you'll see the the green underneath if it's a live branch. If it's not, of course, then it's it's dead, and you can just uh, trim those back to back to good wood the one i'm working on right now our mulberry i'm it's really thick on the interior mm-hmm. and it's great because it's a great shade tree now and it's tall enough that you can sit under it in the summertime but 
It's also the tree that kids pick that the treehouse is going into. So I'm trying to open up the inside of it a little bit too, so that we can put, you know, a, a, put a, a real treehouse tree in, in it, and not uh, not restrict the future growth of the limbs and keeping it from being this magnificent tree. That that's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's 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 good to do that structural pruning soon. The er, the earlier you can do it to establish good branch structure the less work you're going to have to do later. And it's a lot easier to trim out a half-inch diameter branch now than to wait four or five years and be working with a three, four, five, six-inch diameter branch. A lot more difficult for the tree to adjust to that loss of foliage when the tree's older. It has to compartmentalize that injury. And so all those pruning cuts made when the tree's younger is real critical. Uh, We call it structural pruning. And with younger trees, that's pretty much all we're concentrating on doing. You don't want to over prune because the tree needs every bit of leaf surface it can uh, to produce the the, uh, the energy reserves it needs to survive and be healthy. So just be taking out the dead wood, removing any any uh, structurally. We always talk about crown cleaning as the effort to remove any branches that don't have a future in the tree. So you're taking out the dead wood, the crossing branches, rubbing branches, ones that are going to be actually problematic in the future. And sometimes that's, as you said, that's all you need to do. Once you've done the structural pruning, sometimes that's all the thinning you need to do. You don't want to do any unnecessary thinning. Every time you thin out branches, you're robbing the tree of those, that photosynthetic material that needs to, to be healthy. But also you're opening it up to sunburn. Once they get sunburned, then you have wood-boring uh, insects like flat-headed borers coming in. So you want to leave, leave the tree as full as you can, uh, but, of course, light, and light enough with uh, no, no excessive end weight, no branches that are way extended out too far. So do those little structural pruning cuts early in the life of the tree, and then you can just let it pretty much do its thing for the next few years and not have to be worried about that. Wonderful. We just uh, I was just going to Tom, and the call just dropped. He was calling in for Morana. He wanted to talk about pruning orange trees. So I thought maybe uh, that was a topic on your list. Uh, I was going to let him ask it, but we'll go ahead and just take it. If you'd like to join the conversation, it's one 767 That's one 888 for you. He was from Morana, so a little farther south and a little higher in elevation. I know mm-hmm. you. Uh, Jay often says, don't waste your time with citrus in Tucson because, you know, if— you get a frost every 10 years in Phoenix. You get one about every seven in Tucson, and it freezes a little harder because it's a little higher in elevation, and it's just not, you know, unless you have a serious microclimate or you've got a great way to keep it frost protected, it's not a great uh, great climate for for, for citrus. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot of people in, in uh, Tucson that would disagree with that, be, but only because they have got their citrus way beyond the the time when they're really at risk of dying. If trees, you know, your frost-sensitive trees, if you can get them through the first few seasons with some frost protection uh, during those cold spells, then once they're three to five to eight years old, they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be okay. They'll freeze back, but the main the main trunk and main scaffold limbs of the tree will never freeze back deep you know deeply to the point that the tree dies. So yeah, don't be, don't hesitate to to plant citrus in the Tucson area. Just know that you're going to have to be a little more vigilant in those early years to get it beyond that um, that real critical early phase. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you, the expert that's brave enough to say the word deciduous. 
Talking Trees with John Eisenhower. Rosie on the house. With John Eisenhower and Sarah Maitland, the Director of Plant Health Care at Integrity Tree Service. Uh, we're joined with Tom from Marana on the line now at one 767 Tom, talk to us about your orange. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. But, um, my orange tree is basically a giant bush growing every which way, but it just grows so many oranges well into the hundreds. And I'm afraid I'm going to screw up the next crop by, by pruning it poorly or something. So I'm just wondering where to go. Well, let me ask you this first, Tom. Have you ever successfully eaten every orange your tree has produced? My whole neighborhood has. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a neighborhood to, <laughs> to get it well, done. Well, that's, that's really great. I, I, just, uh, I have a very prolific tangerine tree, and uh, to, to avoid the risk of losing the fruit this year due to the frost we had a couple weeks ago, I, I got I chickened out and I, I pulled every tangerine off the tree because in the past I've lost them uh, by letting them freeze. So I've got 400 tangerines. I gave away 200. Uh, two, over, 398. I got yeah, two of them I, right here. I gave 200 <laughs> away the last week. I brought a bunch into the studio this morning. I've got another couple hundred to distribute. But, yeah, that's great. Your whole neighborhood can benefit, which is beautiful because sometimes um, our fruit trees produce way, way more than we could ever eat, especially those of you who have lemon trees know the know that story. I mean, you can't. how many lemons can one family eat? And when you've got a, a, a true tree producing three or 400 pieces of fruit, it can be a, a chore just to, to, to clean them up and, and, and get them into someone's hands. But yes, uh, ruining the, the, the next year's harvest. Well, you want to just be cer- certain that you do your trimming on the tree before the tree is budding. And the best time is really right after the last uh, average last day of frost. And for Marana, that's probably going to be somewhere around the, f- the 15th of March. So uh, sometime between March 15th and April 15th, you've got a window of opportunity to do kind of some significant reduction pruning on any of our citrus trees. Uh, that way, you're you're pruning after the risk of frost, but before the trees set bloom for next year's harvest. So, sometime in that window, um, Tom, if you can, uh, if you need to do some containment pruning, uh, don't worry about necessarily um, losing the bloom because uh, the tree will will find new new places to to put on bloom. Just don't be real radical. Um, this is I mean true of all your pruning with all citrus pruning. Be careful you don't cut back uh, and, and lose the entire foliage uh, canopy on the tree. Just be a little selective, you know, uh, remove, you know, one of every three branches. Uh, if you have a, a heavy cluster of branches, leave enough protection and foliage there to, to keep the tree um, uh, uh, protected from sun. That's, your, that's a public enemy number one with citrus is sun. They're very, very uh, vulnerable to sunburn. The bark is only about a sixteenth of an inch thick, and it can burn real easily. And you had said it's growing every which way like a bush, which technically citrus is more of a— it's, it's, It is. It is it's a, a large, shrub, not a tree. A we just shrub. trim them to look like trees. 
Yeah, and it's it's really nice to leave the branches to grow, you know, all the way to the ground if you can. And really, John, you find the best fruit down on the bottom of the tree where those branches are really low and full. Yeah, yeah, keep those in in intact if you can. It, they start to weigh down to, in, like mine did. Mine the branches are so heavy with fruit that they actually start hitting the ground. You know, you can probably pick those off and 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 uh, and, and or 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 trim those branches out so they're not actually on the ground. I didn't know that about the best fruit being at the bottom. Oh, yeah. It's really good. That's where the tree really likes to produce its fruit. And and it also protects that trunk from the sunburn if you keep branches low and full. But you do want to get them up off the ground. Let's go to jump up from Tom and Marana to Marana and Phoenix. Wants to talk about her jujube tree. Welcome, Marana. Hi. Hi. It's, it's, it's Myrna, but that's okay. Um, yeah, we... Uh, we are Greg Peterson's fans, so we have some interesting trees in our orchard, and one of them um, is a jujube. It's a Korean date, they call it, and we were so thrilled. It had so much foliage, and it was going great guns, and then we had that mini hurricane, that 30-minute hurricane <laughs> monsoon storm this summer, and it about blew it over, wow. but, it, but it, it hung in there, and it grew the rest of the summer, and we had quite a bit of fruit on it this fall. It's now dropped as a leaf, so we can really see what's going on, just like he was saying. Um, so it's listing heavily to the west, and we're trying to figure out, do we trim it to make it foliage heavy on the east side to counterbalance it? Because I, we also have a Pakistan mulberry that was the same story, and I mm-hmm. righted it and tamped the roots back in, and then I heard a snap, and it dropped its leaves, and I snapped one of the roots on that. So I'm afraid to do that to these, these jujube trees. Yeah, well, I I would suggest you know soaking the the root ball uh, as deep as you can, you know, at least a foot or eighteen inches deep. It's a relatively new tree, only a couple of years old. Is that right? Seventeen. How how old? January of twenty seventeen. Okay, yes, yeah, so just a couple couple years. I would um, you just soak that root ball down to about eighteen inches of of, of depth, and then you can get a couple of tools in and around the original root ball and just try to reset it. And and uh, I, we've actually kind of massaged a tree and, and kind of just like you did, you know, pull, pulled it up. And you don't want to snap those roots, but if you can loosen the soil around those roots, um, and you can kind of massage them with, I will even get like a pry bar and work it in around the roots just to get the water down inside there. And then you can sometimes tip those trees back up and get them a little more upright. And if you can't do that, you might want to consider doing a little bit of pruning to. Uh, give a little bit better shape to it, sure. We've got additional talking points for our January to-dos, but we also have Charlie and Prescott, Jane and Phoenix, Bob and Chandler, and an open line at one 767 Some grow nuts, some grow leaves. Either way you look at it, we're talking trees with John Eisenhower on Rosie on the House. with John Eisenhower of Integrity Tree Service, along with Sarah Maitland, the Director of Plant Health Care, and Jane in Phoenix on a magnolia tree who's next on the line. Welcome to the program. How may we help you? Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, I was driving along, and I had seen a, had seen a uh, magnolia tree and, and just was surprised to see it was available in Phoenix to grow. <clears throat> so then I was driving in North Scottsdale, 
and I saw another one. And I did John Eisenhower. I got out and went over and looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard your story, John, as you know. Yeah. And so then a gentleman was working in this yard, and he joined me, and he offered me some of the little roots that are growing up out of the base. And the reason for my call is, <clears throat> would I be successful to uh, try to dig those up? Uh, some one, A couple of them are really large. I was surprised. And uh, and but I want to know exact time to do it and how to do it because I like to propagate. Well, that would be a, a bit of an experiment because we don't know if the magnolia tree that you're getting those sprouts from was grafted onto a rootstock. You might not have the uh, the the parent plant that you might actually have a a a, a sprout that's from the rootstock, which. May not be have the same characteristics um, as the the tree that you saw that made you want to pull your car over. So, you might need to check with a nursery or find out uh, get find out the source of the tree and where it was where it was uh, who who planted it. If you can find get back it's to the very, nursery. John, it's very old. It's very large. Yeah. Both of the trees were very mature. I was shocked. Yeah. Yeah, there are some field grown stock, but a lot of the containerized stock is a, is a, is. Uh, is a grafted rootstock, and they often um, uh, the 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 rootstock that sends up those sprouts often has different characteristics than the the uh, the grafted stock. So you'd have to kind of do a little experimentation. It'd be fun fun to do it if you love to propagate. Um, put it in the ground and see what happens, um, and uh, you might have a beautiful tree there. Let us know how it goes, and we appreciate you calling in. Those are. Uh those are fun trees. Magnolia, and another one that is, is very hard to grow, but it does grow here, and I just love to have because it reminds me of my grandparents. They had these jasmine vines on their back patio for years, and, you know, you, I can't walk past and smell jasmine and not, you know, just think m- of your— Yeah, go yeah. go back to Mama Cam Pop Rosie's backyard and the, <laughs> all the gatherings and time we spent there. So good luck, Jan. We— the lines are absolutely loaded, but before we get to the next call, I know you guys want to talk about Olive Spring. Yeah, uh, I, I'm really happy to have uh, Sarah here because she knows so much more about some of these uh, these uh, applications that we have. We we uh, a, a very uh, amazing uh, line of products uh, have have come available in the last numbers of years. Uh, they're they're called plant growth regulators, and with these uh, products. Um, we can control or suppress the development of fruit on a lot of our trees in the landscape. The most common is the olive trees, and we've talked about that in, in recent broadcasts. And I just want to bring Sarah in and ask a few questions. And uh, I, this is our kind of prime time to be spraying olives. What is the uh, what's the best time to to be uh, applying the the spray to uh, to re- reduce the fruit drop? Well, well, John, it really depends on. Um if you're going to spray now or spray later, but we do have products, and the most successful is the pre-bloom applications, and those would start maybe about January 15th. So, and there's another product you can spray after they've bloomed? Correct, so, correct. Okay, and, and these, and, and what's the, the how, how do they work? Well, um, for the most part, we, we apply Maintain, and it's a product that actually increases the acidic acid in the plant and causes it to drop its blossoms. 
So it's kind of a, a, it tricks the tree hormonally and causes it to drop its fruit prematurely. Correct. Which is something it would do naturally anyway, but you're actually stimulating this hormonal response, so it'll just simply drop the, the fruit sooner. It'll drop the blossom. Drop it the blossom. It will never develop. develop so the fruit yeah. doesn't develop. And what's the, uh, um, what if you forget and you wait a little bit too long and you see the trees in bloom? Then you, then you go to another product? That, that Correct. Is a, a um, there's another product that we maintain. We apply pre-bloom all the way up to about a 5% bloom. And then there's another product, Olive Stop, that we can apply from 5% bloom up to a BB size olive. And what kind of spray coverage can you expect to get? Well, the trees that are really full, you really got to get in there. You got to get every single inch of them. So coverage is a really important part so of you're, spraying your you're tree. Spraying, you're spraying this so it's, you're saturating the entire canopy of the tree with the, uh, the chemical getting into all those small little areas where the buds are, go- are developing. Correct. We, have to, we spray from every all four sides. Then we spray up underneath the trees also. <laughs> okay. And so is it necessary to prune the trees? I mean, would that help to prune them before they get sprayed? It helps a lot. You'll get a lot better coverage if you don't have really big, full trees. All right. And what about um, other trees, you know, that can be sprayed? Are there? I know that olives are... are, are we're, we're busy right now with all of our olive spraying, but what about other trees that, that can be... Well, if you apply um, some Florel, other products, um, to some trees, you can prevent, um, uh, you can suppress pods. Um, We use, we're real successful right now. I I actually used my own tree as a guinea pig two years ago, a really large mesquite. I used to get five or six black garbage bags full of pods in my courtyard, and it was a nightmare. And we sprayed the Florel on it. Um, you get a little bit of defoliation. You know, I had a little green carpet at first, but I got about an 80% reduction on pods. And wow. so I went from five garbage bags to like three little white ones. Little white you know? garbage bags. <laughs> and so I said, this works. And wow. so we're able to suppress mesquite pods, not completely, but it's a substantial difference. The same with acorns. Um, so if you have um, oak live, live oak trees that are producing acorns, you can spray those. Um, I know that uh, these chemi- these products that we're, we're spraying, they are, these are labeled products, right? Correct. And so yes. they have to be um, – w- what if you don't know – you want you have a tree that produces seed uh, pods. Are they all going to be uh, labeled for to be No, be in fact, mesquite isn't on the label, but I did check with the Office of Pest Management at the time when we started doing it. And um, But there's there's oak. There's a lot of different things that are on the label, and we, we kind of experiment with them. Um, the ones that we're sure we can do, that's what we're able to do. With the products, yeah, we just need to check with the Office of Pest Management Correct. to be sure that it's it's – uh, they're allowed to be sprayed because we don't want to go outside the regulations, outside the label. In fact, this is true of any kind of product we use, whether it's over-the-counter or one that you're using through a professional service, a licensed applicator. You want to be sure you're following the label instructions carefully. Um, Olive Stop is an over-the-counter product, but just be sure you follow the label instructions and only apply it to trees for which it's labeled. Um, anything else on olive spraying? I mean, we, we're, we're busy right now. So if, if people haven't waited too long, at this point, to to get on the calendar? No, no, absolutely not. We can get your tree sprayed. 
Okay, good. I, I wasn't sure because we're, I know our calendar is filling up, but we've got a, um, people haven't waited too long at this point. No, okay. absolutely not. Good. All right. Well, we've got a handful of calls we're going to go through before we come back to the rest of our talking points. Let's see how we can help some of these Arizona homeowners with their tree questions. Next on the line, Bob uh, and Chandler. Welcome to the program. Hello. Um, I got two questions about a mesquite tree. One is the best time to trim it, and then after trimming it, what's the best way to keep it from the sap dripping on the surfaces below? Well, when you trim it, make sure you go all the way to the ground. That'll <laughs> eliminate your sap. <laughs> yeah, the uh, um, the sap dripping from uh, pruning cuts is, is problematic with uh, certain large mesquite trees. Even the smaller ones, but the large ones, it becomes even problematic because there's they, the spread is so wide. We have a couple of our customers who have uh, uh, dripping from pruning cuts, uh, you know, all over their pavers and their their walls, and so we actually have to wrap some of those with a burlap wrap material just to kind of absorb some of that that dripping. And it's a, it's time consuming, but it's a, it's an effective treatment. Also, we we have an, a product that that we've been applying. Uh, maybe Sarah can talk about it. Um, but back to your question about the best time to prune mesquite trees. Um, in order to control growth, probably the summer. And this is the, one of the only trees that we actually recommend a summer pruning on because they're such rapidly growing trees. If we prune them early in the spring, they replace the fo- they replace the foliage that's lost pretty rapidly. And by the middle of summer, when you need the, the tree to be light for for the monsoon winds... Uh, the tree's already, you know, very heavy again. So we recommend a May-June kind of pruning cycle. If you're going to be doing an annual trimming, that's a great time just before the monsoon. Um, That being said, that's when they're producing a lot of sap. So you might get a lot of uh, sap dripping out of those pruning cuts. Um, Regarding that sap, uh, can you talk a little bit about shortstop? Um, Shortstop is a plant growth regulator that we use and it really helps to control the growth of a tree. I used it on my mesquite, and it has been sitting there for about six months. It has not really um, moved at all. But it's really effective. It's pecobutrazole is the um, active ingredient. And, you know, we have uh, different trees have respond differently to it. But if you want to control growth, um, it's applied as a basal drench, and we're usually a residual for two to three years and we've had really good success with it on many varieties of trees so it's controlling the size but it's also we found it's controlling the sap drop too it helps well it prevents elongation so it it stop it really actually is transported and stays in the shoots of the tree so after you prune we apply after you prune and it prevents the elongation so it just kind of holds the tree you know, Generally, so if you're trying to do some, uh, you know, containment and control of the size of some of your trees that are getting a little out of control, shortstop's a great treatment. Interestingly, it kind of redirects the growth to the root system. Correct. If so you have trees that are struggling, the um, the shortstop will then send the energy back down to the root system, and you really get some good recovery on some trees that have been especially construction damage and you know other. Other yeah, the, root problems. These um, these plant growth regulators have been used commonly in the in the line clearance industry for many decades now, 
and they're just finding their way into the the commercial and residential markets for applications like this because the line clearance companies didn't want to have to be trimming those right. trees off the power lines out in these remote areas in the country so they 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 would use these growth plant growth regulators which is just simply sending a hormone to the tree which tricks it into thinking it's uh it, it rather than sending uh, the the energy to those shoot those shoot tips it'll redirect it back to the roots and do, it's just do they work on kids oh, they could <laughs> let's you jump want, up to yeah, <laughs> but to address the the sap flow um w- you know sometimes a tree um you know it weeps when it's in a stress situation and so a lot of it is bacterial based um you know you you find a bacterial infection in a tree causing that oozing so in those cases, we can inject trees with an antibiotic. Um, we can also apply a phosphorus-based um, type of a fungide, fun- fungicide that will dry up some of the slime flux. We're going to yes. take a quick break. When we get back, we've got Charlie and Prescott wants to talk about his aspen tree. Lee and Mason wants to talk about it, an ash tree. And Carolyn Oral Valley wants to talk about the tree barrier for the roots. We also have a couple more uh, January talking points in our talking trees here at Rosie on the House. Trees can't speak, but John Eisenhower speaks their language. Talking Trees with Rosie on the House. Starting this segment, and I bet a nice, chilly Prescott morning. Charlie's on the line. Welcome to the program. How may we help you? Good morning. Good morning. Sorry I missed you at the parade this year, but um, I've got a very large quaking aspen that when it leaks out, I'm getting a really significant amount of drooping in the lower canopy. And this last couple of years, I've had more and more branches breaking during the monsoon season. They just seem really heavy with leaves. And Where do you live, Charlie? Prescott. Prescott. Up in Prescott. Oh, okay. And, it, and so the question is how to prevent that from happening? Yes. So the two things, the drooping of the canopy and then... Again, I'm getting a lot of branches that are breaking, um, especially the ones that are drooping that are really heavy. Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. You know, just your irrigation. Are you supplementing just the annual rainfall with some some of your own watering? Yes. Okay. You know, that might be something you might think about. Um, A lot of these trees will turn that water into vegetative growth, and you're going to get more and maybe excessive growth that you're not really intending to have. And the uh, also, the some of these trees, like your quaking aspen, grow in naturally in a in a wood in a in a forested area with other uh, other aspen trees all around them, and they don't have long. Uh, pendulous branches. Take one of those trees and put it in in a, in its own spot, just like eucalyptus down here. You put that in its own in uh, own location with no competition from around it, and it will because of the available sunlight, it will start sending out branches further out from the trunk than it would if it had limited sunlight in a in a stand of trees or in a grove. And we found that you know it's it's a uh, a recipe for some d- difficulties with eukes that tend to, they, they, in their native Australia, they're growing in huge uh, groves in, in, in woods where they don't have long extended branches. Put a eucalyptus out in a landscape as a specimen tree, the cornier property, uh, it, it can have the freedom to start extending branches 20, 30 feet from the trunk, 
and then getting excessively long and being uh, prone to breakage. So just a few thoughts. Um, you might want to think about maybe tipping some of those branches back, maybe reducing the end weight a little bit. If you start seeing they're getting heavy with foliage, make a few end weight reduction cuts, uh, um, get a good certified arborist to come in who can make good reduction cuts uh, by cutting the, the, the ends of those branches back to proper lateral branches that are at least a third the diameter of the one they're removing. And you can uh, uh, hopefully, you know, per, um, uh, reduce that risk of breakage during the monsoon winds. And we've got Vicente Landscaping. You can contact Chris Wilborn there in Prescott uh, for uh, for somebody local. We don't claim to be the experts at everything. And somebody that's in the Prescott area is going to be more familiar with the pinions and the aspen. And you get into Flagstaff. And sure. you, you've got uh, a lot of ponderosa up on the rim. So yeah. uh, we've got a statewide network that you can rely on at rosyonthehouse.com. And, yeah, sorry to miss the, the parade. That was the first time in about five, since we started going to the Prescott Parade, but as many of you can relate to, uh, when you've got kids, they come first, and we had a rodeo in Mesa, so we were in Mesa for the rodeo. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll be back. We Hopefully uh, that doesn't overlap next year, and we'll be back at the Prescott Parade. That's always the first Saturday in December. Let's see if we can uh, finish Carl in Oral Valley. wants to talk uh, talk to our arborist. Good morning, Carl. Yes, good morning, guys. Hey, enjoy the show. I've got a nice uh, house in Oro Valley with a great view of the mountains and a wash down below with a lot of Palo Verde in it. Uh, but a, a new house is going up that's uh, kind of an eyesore. I've got a little open area between some Palo Verde. I was thinking about planting some more Palo Verde. Uh, the nursery told me there's the regular Foothills Palo Verde. There's one that's a hybrid developed by the desert museum down here i guess it grows mm. faster and blooms twice a year and then i guess there's also the blue palo verde um i don't i want to fill in the gap but i don't want it to grow too high and block my view um so you have a recommendation on that or another type of tree and when do i plant them well now is a uh, prime time for planting some maybe it's a little early for Oro Valley you might want to wait another month or so when the soil temperatures are a little bit warmer but you've got it sounds like you want a privacy screen tree yeah you're wanting something a little sh- shorter so it doesn't get up too high and block your view so i was going to suggest if you wanted something that achieved its landscape purpose quickly i would go with the desert museum because those hybrids are very fast growing achieve their landscape purpose quickly and you'd be real happy with that. Um, but if you're not wanting it to get up too tall. You might want to even look into a shrub. Um, there's some native shrubs, the Dotonea or the um, Indian rosewood. It, it, no, it's not the Arizona rosewood. Arizona rosewood, um, Vaculinia, that grow really big and, and tall, but you can control their size. Um, and the Dotonea is the hop The hop seed. The hop seed. Yeah, those get up to maybe 8, 10 feet of, of height, and they provide a nice privacy screen. But maybe that that uh, native, um, the blue or the or the foothill palo verde might be a little bit better size. And when you join that. us February 9th, our tree that we'll be highlighting is the foothill palo verde. So we'll get, there you go. We'll, we'll look forward to having you in in a month talking about that along with our talking trees. You can go to itreeservice.com. Click on the calendar for all the rest of our January tree to-dos. It's itreeservice.com. Thank you, John. Thank you, Sarah.